Hello, this is Sasha. And this is Joe Cabello. And this is Shut Up, I Love It. So shut up, because I love it. That's right, where we invite a guest to talk about something in pop culture or life that's underrated, underrepresented, underloved, under no one, or any of those things. Joining us today, oh my god, guys, he is an LA-based comedian, writer, and filmmaker. He's also known for his online drag lady reporter character, Damiana Garcia, who can be found giving her exclusive reports from the RuPaul's Drag Race finale red carpet on YouTube. He's also part of the ongoing Dumpster Queens online sketch series, which can also be found on YouTube. Welcome, Michael Lucid. Hello. Hello. What a thrill to be here. This is great. So nice to have you here because the topic we're going to talk about is the favorite topic for all three of us. Like we are all fans. Michael, what are you here to talk about? Yes, I am here to join you guys to talk about devs. The Prestige miniseries on FX just finished airing its its eight episodes, created by the auteur Alex Garland. Alex Garland, what else has he done, Michael? What? Who is this dude? Oh yes, he um, his previous films uh, have been uh, the two most recent are uh, Ex Machina and Annihilation. Both incredible, incredible, very visionary. I think everybody loved Ex Machina when it was out in the theaters, but then Annihilation yeah. like didn't get enough love. I felt like, yeah. Didn't you feel the similar way? I was, I was, I was very uh, upset about that because I loved Annihilation. That that's probably my favorite of his work. And uh, and Sasha, you and I were talking on Facebook Messenger about how we both saw it twice in the theater. Yeah, absolutely loved it. And then I was a little dismayed that it was not. Didn't, didn't seem to get the same fanfare publicly that, that Ex Machina had, even though that is also great. Yeah, like if, if you're a listener, if you haven't seen Annihilation, you owe it to yourself to see it, especially if you liked devs. And if you haven't liked devs, then thank you for being here. Why don't you pause this podcast, go see devs, come back, because we're going to spoil the fuck out of the show, because it's an amazing show, mm-hmm. and we're going to get deep in there. We're going to go deep. We're going to dig, dig, dig dig in the DNA of the show. And it's possible we'll even spoil uh, some of his other films, Ex Machina and Annihilation, because I think they're actually, it's pretty fun to watch them in that order, mm-hmm. uh, because we'll get into their endings later, but I actually think it's, the ending to each of those projects it builds off each other, I think. That's interesting. You're seeing someone who, uh, like a very pessimistic view to uh to hopeful there's kind of that range within the, these three directed projects that's very interesting i mean i we're all writers here in this uh recording and and i always find that act three is very hard like to write like dramatic act three that's satisfying you know uh from what w- the character has learned in the acts one the setup and the two like the meat of the story and how do you find the satisfying ending and i think there's something that what joe also saying as well is that that's where like Alex Garland gets real esoteric it's at the end like this is like act three is when he like balls out like talking about basically God science and how those things cross and and like what is universal consciousness is and how do we all exist as part of that gets trippy at the end with Alex Garland yeah absolutely yeah and I guess just putting it straight out there uh, like Ex Machina and, uh, you know, tragically for the main character, 
and you know you could say positively for the other main character mm-hmm. um you know one gets free and one becomes in prison then with annihilation um you have this dark this dark hopeful it's not really hopeful ending but it is like a resolution the two the characters come back together but they're changed and they're ma- not necessarily changed for the better but they they are back together and then with devs you have someone who uh kind of in a way had to go through the journey but got what they wanted in the end big time in an odd way so let's um this is really interesting let's get to devs michael tell us uh you know tell us what what will be the log line tell us what's the what's the what's the genre what's the story of this miniseries sure well let's see well one thing i love about it how i feel like it kind of shifts genres because it kind of starts as as a kind of a, a contemporary noir almost like a tech noir about uh, a young woman whose boyfriend goes missing at the at the very secretive tech company where they both work. So she's on a quest to solve the mystery. What really happened to her boyfriend? And is the security cam footage she saw of his suicide real? And then sort of in the second half of this, or really, I mean, okay, by episode two, but even more so in the second half of the season, it becomes more of almost a Kubrick-esque sci-fi meditation on, on time and free will and and determinism and it's really i mean becomes so visually dazzling and conceptually exciting that it's one of those moments you know we are after all in the golden age of tv i keep i've heard and not improv anymore but still in the golden age of tv (laughs) yes yes it feels i had those moments where i was like wow i mean the things we're seeing now on television are so cinematic and exciting that you know it really feels like this this is uh, very emblematic of this exciting time Great. So it is a mini series, and it, it's only um, what uh, eight episodes, and um, the story—it's still very slow paced. Wouldn't you say that? Like a lot of times, there's not even a whole lot of plot. There's definitely like m- plot moves within each episode, but there's a lot of very esoteric scenes where there's no like you know plot or story movement really happens, and. Normally, that's not something I like, but because it's done from such um, like genuine perspective of how that feels, I think, is to you know be in the esoteric state or face something of esoteric nature, that I actually do enjoy those scenes. And to me, they are the most exciting scenes of the show. What do you think, Michael? Absolutely, yeah. I think um, there's something so, yeah, very, very offbeat, very esoteric about the, the filmmaking and, and also the fact that Alex Garland wrote and directed every episode, which is kind of very cool and unusual that he really got to imbue the whole thing with his vision, almost as if it were like one long film. Yeah. Speaking of it, like the finale, which we'll get to of devs, I think is definitely the most debated part of devs, like almost like lost finale was, or any of that sort where some people are very happy with the way it ended or and some people are not. And I think we'll we'll definitely get to that. But I guys wanted actually to share a screen with you for just a hot second to show you, if you look at your Zoom, the Kamioka Observatory in Japan. It's a real place that looks a lot, a lot. Oh, wow. I think that's where uh, Alex Garland got his inspiration. So if y'all listeners want to check it out, go, on, go online and Google K-A-M-I-O-K-A Observatory. Uh, in Japan, and you'll see that uh, 
the space with gold, uh, you know, spheres uh, without like the ceiling and the floor. It, it doesn't have like a horizon at all. It's just like this large space, which is devs, which basically is the secret project by this tech company that is as revealed in the finale is the God machine. So this is the tech company. And what does this represent to the CEO of Amaya? Oh, yes. Forrest, his, his young daughter has tragically died in a car accident. And his company, <clears throat> and her name was Amaya. And now he's created this whole company also named Amaya as kind of a monument to her. And fittingly enough, there's, there is an actual monument in the center of the, the campus of this tech office complex. And, and it's a huge, what would you say, 100-foot stat, tall statue mm -hmm. of the girl Amaya. And it's one of the most visually eerie and uncanny elements in the in this in the miniseries to see this strange girl figure sort of towering over lifelike yeah. yeah and of course we're talking about uh nick offerman's forest the ceo of amaya mm -hmm. and you know a lot of horrible things happen right at the feet of this statue which is one of them is this staged murder suicide of what seemed to be like the main character in the first yeah. episode, Sergei, played by Carl Glossman. I've seen him before in a very sexual film by uh, Gaspar Noé called Love. I mean, this is Gaspar Noé just doing porn, basically. Wow. Oh, wow. Yeah, but he's a really good actor, and he does this crazy Russian accent that I, I normally, like, hate Russian accents <laughs> the way they're portrayed in film and TV because they're always like this. And he's just doing, like, very convincing, like, pretty strong Russian accent. And I was like, wow, we have a Russian character that will be, like, one of the main characters in this show. Yeah. And he dies in the pilot, and that's... <laughs> what really is the inciting incident of the entire series. Mm. Okay, so they killed the Russian character. Worse, there's footage of him, right, burning himself at the feet of this statue that represents Amaya, and his girlfriend doesn't believe, right, Michael? Like, she doesn't, she doesn't believe there's something fishy about it. Because we know, we know it's fishy because he was murdered in front of our eyes. Right, right, and we get to see, we get to see the, the actual murder happen. Um, yeah, and so now she's suspicious. And by the way, another, and you know, there's that kind of a Hitchcockian psycho thing happening where, you know, again, like Marion Crane and Psycho, where we, you know, we we're very attached to this protagonist and then who's done away with within the first <laughs> act. True. So similarly, kind of like in Psycho, you know, where the sister becomes the new hero in, in, mm -hmm. the, in this series, Lily becomes the hero. And yeah, it's, and, and immediately we're on board with her. And, and I read an interesting interview with, Alex Garland, where he said he loves the actress who plays Lily because of, he says that, that there's something very strange and off about her and something kind of uncanny. And it's why he likes to use her in so many of his projects, because there is, the, she does have this kind of ethereal quality to her acting. Well, she was a dancer, right? She's a ballet dancer. And uh, you could see her in Annihilation being the alien. Oh, like yeah. she, she does the body work of the like the silvery alien in the end of the Annihilation. She's also one of the people who works at the house where the Ex Machina uh, story takes oh, place, yes. right? But but she's like never had like a prime like you know like a main lead role until finally this 
is where we like get to finally see like her and like and she's I amazed like I'm in love with her like I think she's amazing she's a she does little things and but then she can get so emotional zero to 60 so fast like when she finds out uh that her boyfriend has died and she watches the tape and then she returns to see the body to see that there's proof that there is body there and she starts screaming I think it's the end of the pilot and I was like she's doing the I'm losing my shit emotion better than I've seen many actors do like ever. Yes, totally. Yeah, mm-hmm. no, she, she had such a range, such a great range emotionally. And yeah, her performance, it was so nuanced and powerful. And, and it's so important because she's going to be sort of our, you know, the person we're going to feel the most invested in. And she really does um, bring us on board in that way while still having this kind of uncanny sort of ethereal quality. Yeah. For sure. So... Michael, you told us what uh, Devs is, what the premise of Devs is. And in the center of the premise is this machine, right? This, what comes out to be Deus Ex Machina. I'm sorry, not Deus Ex Machina, just Deus. Just Deus, uh, God in Latin, machine. Um, what is, would you describe this machine? Because <laughs> it's fucking hard to explain what it really is. Yeah, it's well. It's funny because it's almost like the show, like this concept of this machine, this god machine. It's it's almost like the like the the techie wet dream because it's a machine that can see everything and know everything, and it it because I, I love this idea that it's almost like this aspirational fantasy for for tech people because it's like the compute the supercomputer that knows the entire past and future of the universe, or in fact the multiverse every possible alternate reality or timeline that's ever existed or ever will exist, it knows all. And it looks like a, what, like almost like an art deco centerpiece fountain. It's hard to even say what the actual machine is, like how much of the building it's in even encompasses the machine. Right. Cause it's like with, it's, it's essentially a screen that they watch and they can see anything from the past. And what's the event more terrifying is anything in the future which is unchanging regardless of how someone interacts with the machine. Right. Well, and of course, uh, in the dev's lab, there's this gleaming cube, right? Like mysteriously suspended in midair um, inside this golden vault. And what holds this cube is probably electromagnetic field, right? That at the end gets turned off and leads to the death of at least two main characters. This machine, though is saying, you know, is telling the past, is telling the future. But the big question of the show is whether it's telling what really has happened and what would happen. Or is it giving just one version, like the simulated version of what may have happened and may happen in the future based on all the information it has, right? Yes, because it's very existence uh proves that there is no such thing as free will because if it can if it's going to show you exactly what happens in the future and even you knowing the future would not change it that means you don't have free will and that's what a lot of the characters are then wrestling with upon first learning about this machine and it was kind of uh scary about it Right. So the big thing, I think, and I almost feel like that's like the thing like a screenwriter probably struggles with writing this show. I mean, who knows? But it's if the character knows, if I human, the human, like say I'm the character in the show, 
I know that this machine thinks that the next thing I'm going to say is, hello, welcome, then why, like, it should be my, like, I should be challenged to not say those words. I should be challenged to say something different or do something different. And of course, that becomes like the big point towards the climax of the show when uh, Lily Chan Chan, uh, played by uh, Sonoya Mizuno, the main character of the show, she has to um, make, uh, you know, she has to either kill Forrest, the CEO of Amaya, the company that has built devs, or she doesn't kill him. Like, so she makes this choice. And, uh, but, but before she doesn't make the choice, right? Like she keeps saying exactly what the machine wanted her to, to say, what, what they predicted her to say. Mm-hmm. And Forrest puts it really well, I believe in that last scene, he says, I've watched this moment, you know, a million times, but still these words that I'm saying feel just like the most natural thing for me to say. Right. He's not saying this is interesting because that's, I think, the only explanation Alex Garland did put in the script of like, well, so then how come, right? How come he's uh, saying exactly what he thinks will be said? He knows will be said. And it's, he, Forrest does say, it's not that I am saying the words of a script. Like, oh, I have the script and I'm saying these words. It's like, it's just like they are yeah, organically, naturally coming out of my mouth. And and then like it doesn't explain any more of that. <laughs> and I, I don't think it needs to. I think there's like two key moments that sort of wrestle with explaining it in the most brief way it can. That's one uh, where he, you know, kind of literally says this is... Uh, you know, these words feel as natural as anything else. And then the really scary moment when they first turn the machine on, and there's about like six or seven people in the room watching what I believe it's like one second ahead of right that moment. And they're just like getting up, like having natural reactions, but then watching their natural reactions second before they have them. And it's almost like, dizzying and sickening to watch and you get from them they get like terrified and are like turn it off mm-hmm. and I, I i for me between those two moments i understood it enough and i could buy it enough that that this is just like reflecting human nature because no one's doing anything crazy like in front of the machine and then trying to trick it not at that point no you do wonder mm-hmm. if everybody on earth knew about the machine would that change uh, yeah. could it possibly predict the future? Like how much of a variable is having interacted with the machine and seeing the future? Yeah. It's kind of, you know, in my, in my pop science understanding of the uncertainty principle, but that's that whole idea of if you, the observer changes the phenomenon. So just by observing, and sort of that's what I think happens with Lily is that because she becomes aware of this deterministic machine that gives her free will so that she can choose to do something differently as the observer, whereas if she had never been made aware of the machine, maybe she wouldn't have had as much free will. It is interesting because I I think on one hand, like there's definitely the whole observer thing, right? Like the observer changes the outcome. On the other hand, there's the constant, um, uh, almost like underlining uh, in the dialogue from all other characters uh, aside from Lily to say that she is different. There's something about her mm-hmm. that uh, she's special, like almost like saying she's the hero. Uh, she's brave. She's the one that can do this. If there's somebody who can change the future, it will be her. Which, as much as I love this character and I, uh, I'm obsessed with Sonoya Mizuno, 
I actually felt like a lot of it was just said by other characters because I didn't see how. Um, that's one to like sort of the moments that I'm less connecting with the show is where how is she different from everybody else? Like, why is she better than what is it, Jimmy, her um, ex? Well, I think you're thinking of better in terms of if this were your typical like hero, heroic tale movie mm-hmm. or show. Um, but it's not. She's better because she makes choices. Like, she's better for this very specific and slight thing that she does. It's almost like a Darwinian, like a like a trait that she has somehow that maybe other species don't have. Yeah, and it's very small. And I guess there's uh, there's the definitely the biblical references of like you know the 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 fruit of knowledge, and I, I don't know too much about religious studies. Does anybody here know? I do not. Not unfortunately. Uh, but there's something to like the sin of knowledge that she 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 has at the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it makes me think Lilith, you know, that's the mm-hmm. one kind of biblical, you know, she's kind of the Eve. Yeah, first woman. First yeah. woman making a transgressive choice. Mm-hmm. That- yeah, um, I think we've uh, definitely gone over devs in sort of general sense. Um, I think the big uh, question is how satisfying was the finale, mm. right? And we've touched on this a little bit. But, well, first of all, Michael, why would you say this show that you brought in is a good uh, topic to discuss in this podcast. Do you think it's underrated? Or, I mean, it's probably a pretty popular show, isn't it? Yeah, well, it's funny because I feel like, you know, um, it seemed like this conversation came about, I, I, especially now that we're all in quarantine and we don't have that same uh, day-to-day interaction with each other where we can talk about our favorite shows and find out what people are, are watching and getting excited about. So I finished the finale and then posted on Facebook a photo of that ominous statue girl hovering above their campus and said, you know, who else is watching and who else likes the show? Cause I just wanted to have the conversation, you know, the pop culture conversation and Sasha, you reached out. We get it. You were lonely. We get yeah, it. We get it. We're all, we're all feeling that. I was lonely. I was feeling the quarantine. It got to <laughs> me guys. And, um, and Sasha, you reached out. And so then we started this conversation and then I think it came about, you said, Oh, wouldn't, you know, what could be a, a great, podcast topic mm-hmm. is the show and and so yeah so it's funny it's hard to gauge right now are people watching do they love it um and you know i, I didn't see much online mm-hmm. engagement so that's what also made me think oh maybe people aren't watching this well i will say this, this it's obviously not a show for everybody uh you know if my uh well i wouldn't say i think my parents would enjoy this to a degree but i say you know your parents Shout because out. i feel like that's you yeah, friends of the show that's <laughs> that's usually kind of this like delineation we all can understand like oh if your parents know who a pop star is they're really famous it's kind of mm-hmm. like that way because right. parents want to watch uh two and a half men and csi you know that's like a very like parent show those that demographic that you would lump in with people who watch that and enjoy that and that's their like peak tv that they watch they're not gonna like this they would hate it right you know it's a very specific pill to swallow i think it's just uh, because we already discussed how this uh, there's a lot of esoteric like scenes that just deal with the atmosphere the feeling that arises in the presence of something bigger than life, bigger than your human existence. I mean, there's a lot of this is about universal horror and... And philosophy. And philosophy that Alex Garland constantly uh, explores in his uh, work. I, I think those scenes are like a turnoff 
to somebody who's tuning in for an espionage movie or even like a sci-fi flick because i mean again like i i think that ex machina is the most like popular work i haven't seen the beach but ex machina seems the most popular film of uh, alex garland i mean i guess 28 days later because he wrote it well i think you have to uh delineate his directed work which started with ex machina Annihilation and I now see. this, and then the work where he was a writer, which I believe he did the novel for The Beach. I'm not sure if he did the screenplay, but poss- mm. possibly. Uh, but 28 Days Later, yes. Yeah, so those are all popular, and they, I'm sure you could uh, rewatch them with all of his uh, three directed films in mind and kind of get some themes. Maybe not so much with Dread, but uh, you probably could. But I think really, if you're going to talk about him, it's those three uh, projects he's directed, which mm-hmm. go really well together. Yeah, Ex Machina, Annihilation, and Devs. And, you know, if people who didn't like Ex- Annihilation, then uh, they they will not like Devs. So <laughs> <laughs> Even more esoteric, yeah. Even more esoteric. It's one of those things where he had no notes. The guy was just like, I'm going to fucking do what I want. And nobody's going to ask me uh, what's right and what's wrong. I'm just going to take some money and make fucking what I see in my head with my eyeballs. And he Mm. did it. Like, he really did it. And that's the auteur at its best, I think, this show, where you really get to see what this interesting person with all his, you know, (laughs) shit that's happening in his head and all this thoughts that he has about existence and philosophy, he really puts it out there on the screen with compelling characters and amazing performances. And I, I'm just, I'm game for that shit. Yeah, he's very obsessed with technology that advances to the point where it becomes nature. You see that with Ex Machina, it's like literally a robot who becomes a human being mm-hmm. by the end of it. Mm. You have Annihilation where um, it, you know, an alien super developed thing is infecting and uh, becoming one with nature to the point where it's melding with a human being. And then you have devs where essentially technology is, is existence. Like the devs technology is kind of the blueprint for life. So I think it's very interesting how he, that's like a continuing theme in the projects he works on. Guys, uh, when you were watching the finale, like, I mean, uh, did you have any ideas, Michael? Did you have any ideas going into the finale of what the finale would be? Like, you know, as a writer, you know, sometimes you try to maybe, <laughs> I'm sure. I, I definitely have one of those. I have a stupid one, too. <laughs> yeah, well, I love how out of the, in the penultimate episode, you know, the cliffhanger is that she's, Lily's arriving at Devs for the final showdown, which we now know, it's at least been set up, like, this prophesized mo- whatever chaotic uh, moment it's, it's about to happen the moment that can't be predicted by the computer so i kind of figured that the finale would uh kind of blow out that you know what in a feature film would be the third act and into a full you know almost hour-long episode and 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 it did i feel like it did do that and, and that was satisfying to me and in the, it was an entertainment weekly uh where alex garland gave his this great kind of comprehensive interview and he said that the, what he loved about making this devs as a miniseries instead of a feature film is that he, he didn't see it as one long film he really embraced the episodic format and how that allowed him to just delve so deeply into each story unit in a way he couldn't in a in a you know in a two-hour feature film 
and he and he's sort of using that medium in this exciting way. And so, yeah, what normally would have to maybe be twenty minutes, let's say, in a feature, or or maybe a half an hour, you know, he's able to make it like fifty minutes and really make it this kind of Kubrick two thousand one mind expanding high concept extravaganza. That last episode really reminded me of the last episodes of Neon Genesis Evangelion. I know people love that, but I've never seen it. So it, if you like devs, I think you would actually enjoy that show. It's uh, it's not a, it gets into the heady levels that devs does, but it's more of a popcorn mecha fighting monsters type of thing. But still, the, the last episodes are a lot of just voiceover over images, like random images, not random, but atmospheric images mm-hmm. and stuff. Uh, and I thought, because the first uh probably five ten minutes of the finale is totally like that mm-hmm. i thought it was gonna go full hard into that <laughs> and kind of just be like that the whole episode and i was almost down for that <laughs> i had a stupid thing i thought was gonna happen what so i think you find out that devs can't see the future past a certain point which is in like at the time 48 hours or something i think that's yeah. like the third to last episode or maybe halfway through something like that you find out that piece of knowledge. I thought the world was going to end at that time. <laughs> That's what I thought for a while. And then I was like, oh, no, this isn't really playing like that is going to happen. But for a little while, I was like, ooh, that could be interesting. Because that what are the implications that it can't uh, look past a certain point? It's either that it was destroyed or everything was destroyed. Right. right. And if you destroy the god, right, then what does that mean? does that world still exist or not, you know? And yeah. we find out that, spoiler alert, the characters end up, well, at least the two main characters, uh, Forrest and Lily, do end up in a different world. They they essentially oh. die, so then their data gets loaded to a different world, one in which Forrest's daughter is not dead, which was his goal the entire time. And how did you guys feel when you found that out? I mean... Did you feel like, oh, shit? Did you feel like I knew it? Did you feel like good for them? Or what were the other <laughs> responses that you were having? I It was very gratifying. Like, I, I, I you know, because we know that there's the sinister mystery that's built, been built up. What happens once the, after the computer can no longer predict what's next? And then we learn it's because, yeah, now Lily and Forrest are in this virtual world where they get to... Um, they have a happy ending. Their dreams come true. And, and emotionally, I think that was the right place to go. It was, it was a great payoff and gave a lot of, you know, great emotional closure, you know, to see Forrest with his daughter and Lily ultimately with Jamie, which is who we want to see her with. And, um, and yeah. And, and Alex Garland said in his interview that, that that ending was what he all along envisioned. Like that's where it needed to end. It needed to end with Lily, with Jamie and that was like the, this true like loving relationship and um yeah but now 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 that now that we have all we all agree that we love the show and we absolutely love it now we can also i guess get into qualms or questions right questions and with the finale cuz that you know there's been that's an episode a little controversy online you know fans do debate various story points and one thing is for me was um if the machine can predict any possible outcome in all the different multiverses, weren't there some outcomes where Lily 
chose not to shoot the gun or mm-hmm. why, or, I mean, I guess that's the point. That's what couldn't be predicted or, you know, or why does Stuart who we, we haven't touched upon Stuart, mm-hmm. which is a whole nother issue, but that's their coworker at devs. Mm-hmm. And he's sort of instrumental in the finale, but why does he cause the, the levitating glass case to crash killing Lily and Forrest you know, things like that. Yeah, so Lily makes the choice, even though she knows that uh, the machine says that she will kill Forrest to revenge for the murder of at least two of her boyfriends. And at that point, she's re- she's a bit resigned to its power because mm-hmm. she, she thought she was going to fight off what she already knew. She knew she was going to go there at midnight or whatever. Mm-hmm. And she Her plan was to not do it, but she found in herself an inevitability, like an emotional inevitability that like, oh, Jamie was just killed. Mm-hmm. I have to face these people. I have to, you know, we have to finish this. Uh, so by the time she's finding out her fate, which is to kill Forrest, at that point she's a little bit like, well, fuck, this thing's, it must happen, right? So I think that's what makes it even more powerful when she does fight off the choice. Yeah, I don't know about yeah. other, uh, you know, I don't know who you've seen, the, who were you watching with. I was watching my boyfriend who kept saying over and over, and he loves Alex Garland. But shout out to Jay Hunter, because he kept saying, say, yeah, friend of the show. Mm-hmm. He kept saying over and over, well, why doesn't she just do something else against what the machine is telling her to do? Well, of course, dramatically, it's because the big choice she had to make is not to kill, right? Um, mm-hmm. And I think just like, like Joe's saying, like emotionally, she was in that state that Forrest has described as naturally saying the things that the machine has predicted for her to say or do. But the big choice she makes is not to kill Forrest. But Stuart, played by Stephen McKinley Henderson, he wants to destroy God, the God machine. And that was another thing that bothered me because he wants, he didn't really destroy the machine, he just killed Forrest. And even with Forrest dead, the machine would still exist. He destroyed, like, the electromagnetic field, the cube that was, like, the elevator cube that was holding Forrest and Lily together. I think he had gone a bit, I think he had gone a bit crazy and was obsessed with the machines and its accuracy. So even if Lily couldn't, uh, didn't kill Forrest, well, they would, uh, he could still keep true to the fate that the machine had, uh, had, um, what do you call it, uh, said was going to happen by killing them both in the same way that they were going to die. I had a, I had that feeling. Like, he was so tapped in and glued to this idea and faith in the machine that he helped, in some ways, uh, prove its prophecy. And actually, what also occurs to me is that, in the end, we, you know, the, the government, the, the senator, I think she's a senator who's been sort of behind the scenes, sort of scheming and figuring out ways to use the computer for the government, perhaps even if, if, if Stuart's goal was to, to, to destroy the machine, maybe it's because he didn't, you know, he knew that even with Forrest out of the way, he wanted to destroy the machine because it could fall into the hands of the government and who knows what they would do. Mm. That whole, uh, you know, like I wasn't like that into the lady, like, you know, good for her. She was in the, like whatever that character, but it, it really was like almost unnecessary that that character. Uh-huh. <laughs> I think it was their way of being like, Hey, just so there's no questions, we're going to keep the machine on and that's how they're going to live for, you know, live out. Right. Because you have to worry, like, is that simulated reality that uh, Lily ends up in with Forrest and others, if that's going to like, you know, keep on 
existing or not. Oh, right. Because yeah, how long? Yeah, how long? If a plane hit the building and the building was destroyed, like, their life would be over. But is that any different than our reality and how we exist? You know? Right. And is it really... For I know for Forrest, the, you know he oh, he just wanted to be with his daughter, but there's the the burden of knowing that they're living in the simulator reality. I mean that's not going anywhere. Yeah, he doesn't seem. <laughs> I think it's all about how you perceive it. I don't think for Forrest he sees it as simulated reality. I think he sees that as no different than reality at this point, and is re- okay with that. As far as Lily, she that's what's so tragic is that she didn't sign up for this. She did not. So even really, though uh, she gets what she wants, it's like kind of it's there is something terrifying about when she wakes up. It's, you know, a few days or however long the, the series spans over back the day of the first episode. It's very tragic, but you're also like you wanted her to live. You wanted her to to make it through. So it's still dark. It still has that like dark, lonely Alex Garland energy. Nobody wins really at the end. Yeah. And and my biggest qualm of the, with the show, if there is one, is that Forrest doesn't pay for his sins really. Right. Because if he's that okay, you know, like he really wants to be his daughter, even if it's a simulated reality that he does as a tech, you know, giant takes it as you know, tech guru takes it as a reality, and he just wants to be there because his love for her. Uh, is so strong and the grief is so strong and so he gets the relief but he never gets the punishment unless that is the punishment knowing that it's still a simulated reality then wait why you know does lily have to get but i don't get the feeling that he's he's bothered by that i don't get that feeling either at the same time what were his sins let's talk about what he truly did wrong let's talk about it he he enables his henchman kenton to commit all these murders and well sergey sergey deserved it to to be killed or taken to prison question mark or was he did he just deserved to be murdered i don't think uh you could have taken him to trial anything you know these are the russians we're talking about <laughs> all right so uh, <laughs> so you're saying joe that sergey deserved it sergey deserved it so then um as far <laughs> as anybody else who died forrest didn't uh, order that. Oh, that was Kenton. It was the it was Kenton kind of going rogue. What do you think, Michael? So I got your point. All right. So you're saying Forrest is innocent. What about you next? I I don't know if he's totally innocent, <laughs> but I don't think he's he's even like so swayed on the evil side of things. I think he's a man with power, and a lot of crazy stuff happened because he had this crazy device but i think it was actually uh, people around him like allison pill and kenton uh who were more evil like directly evil than he was i think his biggest sin is being so focused on getting his daughter back that he was blind to the chaos around him mm, and he's and he sort of used that he uses that as a moral crutch because he sort of passively sort of allows everyone around him to do these really nefarious deeds and mm-hmm. says either he says, "Well, it was all meant to be. We're all on a track, and a, you know this deterministic track, and everyone's just doing what they were gonna do anyway. So, well, you know, my hands are yeah. tied, and I just told Kenton to take care of it, and that's what he did. I didn't know he'd do that. Right? Whoops. Well, yeah. uh, Jamie does at some point calls the tech giants 
the mob. He says they're practically a tech company is just basically a mob. And I think we are, we're meant to be uh, like in some agreement with that statement. What Forrest is doing is, you know, he's not considering other people. He's just considering his own gain, which is mm. to get his daughter back. And because and it's it, such an under, like it's such a sad, you know, like he's such, from coming from such a point of view of grief that like you, you almost forgive him, but then, people still kind of keep dying and Lily's like almost dying constantly. I guess like he knows that she's not going to die because she's going to end up a devs at the end of the episode. She knows. Yeah. It gets really weird at a certain point talking about the show because certain characters know exactly what's going to happen. So you have to keep that in mind when like, he knows like even if he throws her under a truck, you know, she's going to make it because he's convinced 100% that she will end up a devs at the end, Mm -hmm. which she does. Alex Garland seems to have, you know, contempt for tech companies and tech guys. Cause I even uh, remember the line from Ex Machina, Oscar Isaac's character, who's the, you know, big like uh, CEO type megalomaniac. Mm. Um, he's talking about his uh, security cameras or whatever. And he says, uh, I had the guys killed who built them because there's too many secrets here, mm-hmm. more mm. or less. And, you know, he's making a joke, but not, but I think it's still. It's so tied into that idea of the tech giants being mobs. And, you know, yeah, they're going to, when there's corporate espionage like Sergey, they're going to kill him. They're not going to get him arrested because they can't be dealing with that shit. And my ex machina, Garland says that he's, and, you know, we've touched on that great moment in the final episode when the big reveal that Devs is actually like the Roman way of writing Deus. Which is such a, which was, it surprised me and I, I loved that moment. It did not surprise me and I'm so oh. freaking sorry. Oh yeah, I was like, oh, mm. ah. mind blown. My brain is easily blown usually, but that's not the one time that it did. Oh yeah. It's simultaneously stupid and brilliant <laughs> at the right, same time. Right, right. Yeah. And it was good that he kind of, he sort of uh, jokingly said, he's like, oh, the, the character Forrest says, oh, that was an inside joke, which is good because it is, it is cheesy. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. like a cheesy twist reveal, but um yeah, and, and so and Garland says that in that way it it kind of ties in nicely to how this is a companion piece to Ex Machina because then it's Deus Ex Machina. Yeah, both are commentaries on on the tech world and tech moguls. Yeah, yeah. and I, I I have to say, guys, I know Alex Garland is write, writing some crazy ass shit right now in the quarantine. What do you think? Oh yeah, like that's all I can think about. I'm like, sure, I'm writing shit. Mm-hmm. Other writers are writing shit, but what is Alex Garland is writing? Oh, <laughs> like, yeah. there's uh there's some yeah. very exciting directors, like uh, including him, Ari Aster, who are doing really commercial work that is also incredibly unique and strange. And I really appreciate it because I think as much as like devs might be the more, I would say, um, inaccessible, but that's mm-hmm. just because it's eight hours long, mm-hmm. you know, but I feel like anybody could really enjoy Ex Machina and Annihilation, like, cause they're a little, they're pretty commercial, um, but they're also so weird that you get an Ari Aster has that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's great to see that because I, I don't like something that's totally weird and like not following a story and not having your typical three act structure, but I don't want it. I don't want it too much. This, this really resonates with me, Joe, because I agree. There's certain sweet, sweet spot for me to be really in love with a show or a movie 
that is like you it's like you can't be well i guess like i still love die hard and you know like there's certain like films and tv shows that are very hollywood very structured and i still enjoy them but for me to really love and feel like it's my kind of film my kind of show it has to have some strangeness to it but not mm-hmm. to be all strange that i am mm-hmm. lost in the weeds and like there's certain you know things that i'm just like no i'm not gonna watch it no i i do i know like it's complete nonsense like most recently i was watching um well a good example would be uh, adventure time um mm. it's uh like I love Rick and Morty, for example, which who doesn't? But but then there's like you know Adventure Time or the most recently um, this uh, new uh, show on Netflix. Oh, I think I know. I just watched that mm. Midnight Gospel. Midnight Gospel. It's another example of where I was like super excited, like started watching it. I was like, nah, too too <laughs> crazy. I I don't know. What do you, what did you think of Midnight Gospel? You, did you love it? You know what I do really enjoy it and it's it's such a stoner show mm-hmm. it's total it exists in a stoner reality and and i actually i wasn't watching it stoned but i was sort of maybe just hit me in the right way mm-hmm. especially that first episode with dr drew um it just was tickling me in this just absurdist kind of get- and i actually am i've never watched a full episode of adventure time and now actually i want to go and watch adventure time mm-hmm. and familiarize myself with his other work it's interesting i i really like for example liked uh the aqua teen hunger force which i think is also a stoner show but like there, yeah. there's like enough of the fun in that for me to be like okay that's fucking funny so i'm gonna love that that's insane well it's also yeah. 11 minutes yeah. that show couldn't be 22 mm-hmm. minutes mm-hmm. or you know longer they were perfect for that but like speaking of rick and morty i think what's great about that is it gets into weird grounds it gets into very like scientific and like abstract concepts but um what's his name dan Harmon. Harmon is a master of tv three-act structure the circle the famous uh, story circle mm-hmm. and he's you know a stickler of it so mm. the, all those stories are incredibly or that show is incredibly commercial because he does have those elements that we know we like mm. and uh, and we can follow, but it's all wrapped up in all these really interesting, weird and concepts that we don't normally get. And that's kind of what's similar how Alex Garland is. His movies and shows are still wonderfully structured and um, traditional in many ways, but he's mm. using it to explore really abstract topics. Yeah, topics yeah. of you know great interest to me. And I, I agree with Dan Harmon and his story circle that he is so obsessed with the perfect, you know, act structure, apparently, that in his writer's rooms, there's like story circles constantly brought up in the discussion and breaking of the story. There's story circles on refrigerators and all around, like just it's, you know, he be- he's a big believer in the hero's journey in the, even in this like mini version in the Rick and Morty episode. And I agree. It's taking that content that's very maybe not your everyday, you know, meat and potatoes that you will see on TV uh, because we're dealing with multiple universes with, you know, big quantum physics ideas and taking them into uh, a great, perfect three-arc structure and also putting a lot of dick and vagina jokes and hopefully more vagina Mm -hmm. jokes in the future uh, in them. You know, it's what makes a perfect show and that's why Rick and Morty is absolutely a perfect show to me. And going back to Alex Garland, I mean, he doesn't give a shit if he has to at this point just sit on a shot for two minutes of something that we've never seen before 
nothing's ever been like this on television. For example, for the first time, we see the Christ on the cross. Like for the first time, these characters go back in time. The machine goes back in time and recreates the Christ on the cross. In its, you know, it's grainy. It's black and white. The sound is distorted, but they recognize that figure. And with the score from, I mean, the score for Alex Garland is always insane. Like these two dudes, Ben. Salisbury and Jeff Barrow are the same two composers that write music, wrote music for Annihilation and Devs. I'm not sure about Ex Machina, but that fucking trippy music and those images that one has never seen before is like enough for me to spend time in that space where I'm not concerned with three act structure. But then it gets back to that, you know? Yeah, even though it's, it's ultimately going to give you that. Yeah, I would describe the show as atmospheric. You know, it's really something to put on a big screen and watch and sit in and enjoy. And that's why I think a lot of people might not get it or enjoy it. I don't want to say get it because that's, that's, you know, it's not so much getting it. It's just... If you had psychedelic experiences, it would be easier for you to enjoy these shows. Right. Uh, yeah, and it does. It takes a lot of skill to be able to pull off a movie show or, or you know anything that's atmospheric in that way. There's a lot that has to be working together from the music mm. to just is the image beautiful and compellingly shot. Because if you're gonna sit on something for two minutes with just like very little camera movement, if it's lacking <laughs> in one area, you're in Hulu. You're gonna turn that shit off. Yeah. yeah, you're gonna go minimize and go look for something else. I th- it's good. The pace is so different. It's just so different from almost anything else we see on on TV. And and it's good that the first episode kind of eases us into it. So by the time we get to episode five, when things are we're seeing nonlinear time and shots being held for two minutes, um, he sort of uh, you know built us up to that. Uh, so anyone who's stuck with it that long. Is ready for that. It just keeps happening with the show where we get uh, glimpses into the past from the perspective of the people who work at devs as they see it on the screen in front of them. And he doesn't bother. Alex Garland doesn't bother to explain what we just saw. He just moves on. Yeah, it's it's like tone setting. You know, it's a very interesting, like, cold yeah. open yeah, yeah. type of way to, to apply that to this show. I like the tone setting. It always makes me think of the old bars and tone that used to be before, like making television. Like it's oh, almost like, yeah. okay, this is how the red is gonna look in this uh, mm-hmm. screen, and how the sound is gonna sound, like the beep. And it's the same way. It's like, dude, if you have any questions, this is what the show is. Like, yeah. Yeah. Re- like slow down, slow your roll. Whatever you're coming in with, coming in hot. This, this, yeah. this is you're gonna roll with what I'm giving you, yeah. and uh, it's. I fucking love Alex Garland, and I love Devs, man. Oh. Shut up, I love it. Shut up. Yeah, shut up, I love it as well. Great. I will be watching it again mm. in the near future. Like, it's it's on my list before some new shows uh, to watch again, <laughs> because seeing everything, uh, knowing how it ends and knowing the determinism, yeah. I'm excited to see what might be uh, an Easter egg or hidden. Why might say yeah. you were predetermined to watch that show again? Oh, <laughs> exactly. My name's not Joe. <laughs> it's JS. Oh, okay. See, now, now it all makes sense. <laughs> Guys, I'm so happy that we talked about it. Uh, why don't we move to the uh, the final chapter of this podcast episode? 
where we weight devs. What this means, Michael, is that we each of us individually creates a 10 point scale where each of us uh, will take um, a different show that's maybe like devs or another uh, piece of art that's like devs and put it on the scale probably somewhere up high just to set the scale itself like what are we dealing with and then put devs against it i can start as an example i'm actually yeah i'm actually gonna take annihilation and i'm gonna put it at 10 because it is one of my favorite films in the most reachable recent history because annihilation is a 10 i that fucking scene at the lighthouse is oh yeah i mean just uh, the music the you yeah I, I i don't i don't even if you haven't seen it go back wa- watch it again if you've seen it twice like me go see it again because i will yeah. you could feel that scene like there's so yeah. weird like you can feel the pushing and the pressure like that yeah. she's having an, against this uh, creature in that scene like it's an it's weird i mean that drop of blood landing and the creature the the alien analyzing it and it's the it's the most i don't i love horror movies because they don't scare me almost but that's some scary shit in that film like when you when you yeah when you hear the alien talk to her in this music like i don't know what the fuck those guys did So Annihilation is a 10, guys. I mean, it doesn't get better than that. If I could give it 12, I would. Yeah. And I think devs for me, if... And I mean, look, I I don't even know what's one because this is a scale already of perfection. Like, we're talking Alex Garland, you know? Dread. Yeah. I I don't know if it's his baby. I don't know if I'm going to put Dread (laughs) there and take a big old dump on it. Uh, But if I have Annihilation at uh, 10, I think devs is a solid 8.5. For me okay okay again I'm, I'm i'm only talking about already scale of perfection but it's just Oof. you know like there's nothing i want to change about annihilation like there's nothing scarier than fucking bear scene or more beautiful and strange as the dance-off between natalie portman and the alien played by sonoya masuno but devs has a l- couple couple things that i just felt like were a little bumpy it was a little bumpy a couple of times mm. you know especially at the end uh. i do i am overall happy with where it all ended it, it just felt like it allowed itself to be what it is without maybe like answering some things and like some things i just like to be answered like i want to i want the answer of what does it mean that nick offerman's forest killed people but he gets what he wants like that's to me is the big question was never answer the second thing is why does lily not say something different early on and she only does something different Mm. when she makes that dramatic of course choice to not kill forrest those are two main things i also just kind of like still don't know how to feel about the russian involvement (laughs) like i I know like i know it was a thing that like it's, it was almost like a misdirect. Like, the show's about Russians. Oh, wait, it's not. But I, it's almost like I miss Sergei, and I wanted to know a little bit more about him in some ways. I don't know. Maybe I like that character a little too much. So those are just the things that take off a point and a half for me. But eight and a half yeah. is still pretty up there. I fucking love it. I'll probably see the show again. Joe, yeah. what do you think? Uh, well, I don't know if I'll use this show that I'm about to mention to 
for the scale, but I think it's hard not to mention uh, Westworld also when uh, talking about the show. Oh, yeah. And I feel like, uh, especially this new season of Westworld, which is dealing with a supercomputer who, that can basically predict every, you know, thing that people are going to do, mm-hmm. sort of thing. But I feel like devs is is a much stronger approach on that uh-huh. story. But that's also because Westworld has been a million things so far. You know, it started as like Westworld. It's not Westworld anything anymore. It's really branched off into a lot for better or for worse. I'm not sure. So, but I think it is hard not to kind of have that come to mind that new season. So if you did like devs for, for kind of that like supercomputer that can predict anything or whatever type of thing. Check out Westworld, see if they're going to do it right. But you don't want to put it on the scale, though. No, because Westworld, I'm. it would be low. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do watch it faithfully. That's like me watching Shrill. Me just staying with Shrill till the end of season two. I can't say oh. no to it. Oh, yeah. I, I binged all the first season, like, super quick, and then I, I haven't gotten too far into mm-hmm. two. But uh, my for this scale... I would say prestige shows. I'm gonna say leftovers is a ten. Mm. Okay. Really like leftovers, mm. um, and I'm gonna say devs is a ten. Oh. Okay. All right. Now leftovers, Joe. You have to help me out here. I, I, the pilot was just like not promising enough, but I know people love leftovers. I watched the pilot maybe like six, seven years ago or something, um, and then I was just like, I'm not really into it. Then I was uh, doing some work from home for a while, so just a lot of periods in front of the computer screen. And I was like, you know what, I'll, I'll try it again. And this was a couple years ago, and then I think I finished the series in like a week because wow. it just hooked me. So I, it's a very, uh, it, it's one of those shows that if you're not in the mood for it. It's not a shower, it's a grower, right? Yes, exactly. Oh. Yes, just like me. So maybe that's why I like it. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I, I could see not being in the right mind space for it. And that goes for any show, too. I mean, some shows, if you didn't like it, try it when you're in a different mood later. Um, yeah, COVID might have changed a few moods. So see how that, uh, you know, suits you now. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's just my guess. All right. So yeah, maybe I will give uh, another chance to leftovers. All right. So that's where we had Michael... Most importantly, oh. what is your scale and where does devs fall in on that scale for you? Yes. I, well, you know where I, my mind keeps going. It's, it's so kind of unfair to devs because I keep going to 2001, mm-hmm. to Kubrick's mm. 2001. I'm just shooting for the stars because it, it, to, both shows also sort of eventually get into this kind of nonlinear, you know, cutting backwards and forwards in time to cave people and you know they start out as sort of a, a thriller a tech thriller and then become this metaphysical meditation on what does it mean to be human and what is time and the space child and a space child absolutely amaya is sort of the space child and um so it's kind of unfair because that's kind of tips the scales because i mean kubrick <laughs> he, he maybe changes the paradigm he kicks it up let's say kubrick is if he's a 20 mm. Changing the scale. We allow occasionally our guests 20. to change the scale. It's, it's all oh, right. Oh, thank you. You're kind of messing with the... Let's say so if we're, 2001 is a 20, mm-hmm. that's going to bring devs up to a, to a solid 9. Okay. Nine, yeah. All right. Because yeah. for me, devs, it was... What the, a curve. <laughs> I respect the, cur- uh, the curve, but I also want to flatten it a bit, oh, and oh I don't want to upset anybody by making that pun. Oh, yeah, no, hey. But uh, uh, I, I want to know uh, what oh, else my. is on that scale, because... <laughs> 
if if mass the masterpiece of 2001 space odyssey is at 20 and devs is at nine oh yeah where else is on it what like yeah, what's a 15 <laughs> oh good question <laughs> i want to get deep into it because Ooh, it's almost like question. it's less than 50 percent of the scale but um we take our scales very seriously here it's shut up i love oh, it oh yeah yeah but if it's curved then you know like not there's very little difference between nine and twenty but there's a huge difference between one and eight right right um oh, right uh well, have you seen westworld are you watching westworld michael you know i i skipped season two mm-hmm. and i did all of season one saw like the first few episodes of season two and now i'm on season three Okay. And um and and it, it when the supercomputer comes up on the Westworld, you know, I was imagining all the the Alex Garland and all the producers of devs being like, ah, what's happening? <laughs> it's another supercomputer that predicts everything. Yeah. How did this happen? It really takes more of an assassination nation approach to um, the supercomputer. And for those people who saw Assassination Nation, you'll know what I'm talking about. Ooh. Shout out. For the other suckers, catch up. go check out Assassination Nation. <laughs> right, so you do like then season three, it sounds like, Michael. I like it. But okay, well, if I was going to put that on the scale, mm-hmm. I would, so if Devs is a 9.5, mm. I would put Westworld season three at a at a eight. Yeah. It, it's just, it's saying interesting things and it's doing it's very Blade Runnery. You know, it's all a lot of it's in LA and that's fun. Yeah, super super Blade Runner. And what does Annihilation go on at? Okay, because you know Annihilation also feels very two thousand one esque. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna put that. That's the fifteen. Okay, wow, we found it. 15. We found it. Yeah, <laughs> we found it. Wow, there it is. Yeah, it also gets a little tough. Uh, with like a series versus a movie, like when you're comparing those, yeah. even comparing something like Leftovers, which is three seasons to Devs, it's, uh, it gets a little tough. Nothing's perfect right. here. Shut up. I love it. But we do love our scales. <laughs> and this probably is by far the most complex scale I've encountered in 40 some episodes. <laughs> Your curve. Great. Well, it's thank you so much, Michael, for coming on and talking to us about Devs. Oh, thank you. It's been a thrill and a delight. This was uh, supposed to happen for us too, Michael, because uh, what people don't know is me and Michael, maybe every three or four months we get together and we share a script we've been working on and give each other notes. Yes. But, and we were just about to do one probably in March. Exactly. The quarantine interrupted our, our, our ritual. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Great. So once again, the predeterminism wins. Gosh. Yeah. <laughs> Michael, uh, is there anything you'd like to plug? Come visit me on Instagram, my drag lady reporter persona, Damiana. On Instagram, she's at Damiana Garcia. Mm, great. What about Dumpster Queens? Thank you. Dumpster Queens, the, the web series I, I'm happy to be a part of, we shot a Zoom episode, so that's in the works. Maybe by the time this comes out, you listeners will be able to find that as well. Yes. Deus willing. Deus willing. That's all I'm going to say. What about you, Cabello? Uh, I'd like to plug my comic book. It's called Robot Black Belt Champion. You can get it at robotblackbeltchampion.com for free. And it's really funny and cool and cute. Great. Thank you, Joe, for co-hosting with me. And thank you, Michael, for coming on as a guest. Uh, Thank you, Elizabeth Salud, for artwork. Thank you, Carlton Gillespie, for your videos. Thank you, Andrew Hayworth, for music. And thank you for listening.